0: New families chart the many rises and falls of New York real estate like the Rudens. The company was founded in 1925 by Samuel Rudin and his siblings, and today it is run by its third and fourth generations, one of whom is the firm's CEO, Bill Rudin, who is my guest on this episode of BizNow Reports. My name's Miriam Hall, I'm BizNow's New York City reporter. The Rudin portfolio spans millions of both residential and commercial space, over 30 buildings in total in the city. The office properties include 345 Park Avenue, which is leased to Blackstone right now, and 55 Broad, which is now earmarked for residential conversion. They also co-own Dock 72 with Boston Properties, where we work as the anchor tenant. In this interview, Bill's discussing the decision to turn 55 Broad into housing. He's also talking about doing deals with Ken Griffin. He's discussing the migrant crisis and its impact on the city. And he's talking about the time he interviewed former president Gerald Ford about the 1970s fiscal crisis in the city. First though, we're discussing the much anticipated post-Labour Day return to office. Like a lot of people, many of whom emailed me this week, Bill does not believe the castle system swipe card data paints an accurate picture of building occupancy.
1: Well, we're seeing, uh, you know, a a significant increase in people coming back into the office, Uh, we have a couple of properties we're about 90% some are at 70% some lower, but you know, on average, we're we're getting close to 70% and I think that's the general sense that we're seeing from talking to other owners and some reports.
0: A lot of the activity is about, I mean, part of it is about mandates. Do you have any tenants in your buildings that have recently announced office mandates? And, you know, if so, have you seen the occupancy tick up as a result in your properties? I, I,
1: most of our tenants were already, like you know, a company like Blackstone or the NFL, um, they, they, you know, were already, you know, working, you know, five days a week it's very hard to replicate that, you know, mentorship and intern- internship and teaching and, you know, rolling up your sleeves and being in that, in, in conference rooms. You know, my, my dad, you know, the the 52nd and, and Park Avenue was, you know, is, is called Lou Rudin Way and it's called Lou Rudin Way for a, a, for a, you know, a, a, a particular, you know, particular reason because of the connectivity and the interaction that he had just walking out to go to lunch to the Four Seasons of the 21 Club, or go and get a hot dog at the corner at, at you know, Gus's hot dog stand that he loved to love to do. And I, and today, I, I, I walked down the street, and I, I ran into half a dozen people had started having conversations, I was, you know, some guy rolled down his window, and it was an attorney that had worked on a deal with him, you know, 20 years ago. And, and so I, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. And that you know, you don't know where that, you know, something clicks. And that's how my father uh, and uh, you know, started our relationship with Blackstone in the early 90s, when Pete Peterson and Steven Schwartzman created their company, they really didn't have, you know, when they start off, and if you read Steve's book, you know, it talks about the tough times that they had attracting capital, and attracting, you know, clients, and uh, so they were looking for office space and not too many owners would take them because there was no there was no credit. And uh, my dad ran into to Steve on the corner of 52nd and Park and my dad said, Hey, Steve, how you doing has has the new new company and Steve started telling him how difficult it was. And my dad tapped him on the shoulder and says, Look up, look up onto 345 Park Avenue and look at the 30th and 31st floor, we just got two floors back from Union Pacific Railroad. They had moved out of the city and had a beautiful space built out. And he said, get Pete and come over and take a look at the space. And I'm not worried about your credit. Your your handshake is good for me and my brother and my family. And uh, they, you know, a few weeks later, they made the deal. And so went from 60,000 feet to over six or 700,000 feet. So that was a pretty good bet. Uh, and uh, they've been incredible tenants, and we've been, I think, uh, good partners and, and owners and landlords uh, for them. And if you, you know, ask John Gray, this is the only building he's ever, you know, worked in. And uh, so that's the kind of, you know, you know, interaction and, and spontaneous, spot, spontaneous uh, interactions that happen in a, in a, hopefully, in a very positive way, and that's very unique to our, our great city.
0: Have you done any deals like that recently though? I mean, that does sound like that was of the era a little bit.
1: We did that too at uh, down when we turned 55 Broad Street into a technology uh, building. My, my sister had a friend uh, named John Diamond and he was starting a technology music company in 1995 and, you know, nobody knew what bandwidth was and nobody knew what connectivity was and nobody knew what really the internet was. And he had a vision for his company, and we took a chance and, you know, it, it, you know, they eventually ran their course, but they started off at 5000 feet and went to 60,000 feet and but that 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 deal helped get that project going and, uh, and and created the the positive buzz, um, you know, for, you know, for the re, re, rebirth of that building. And now, you know, we, we just uh, sold uh, and retaining an interest in the in the redevelopment of of 55 Broad into its new you know it's its its next phase of its of its life
0: 55 Broad was built in the 1960s for Goldman Sachs and it served as the headquarters until the 1980s it was then home to Drexel Burnham another investment bank that went under in the 1990s then at that time lower Manhattan was dealing with something like a 30% office vacancy it was a scary time, Bill says. There were no tenants and a renovation just didn't make sense. So they waited it out. By the late 1990s though, the building was known as the most wired building in the world. And it was eventually leased up completely. But now that building is moving into another chapter. This year, Silverstein Properties and Metro Loft bought 55 Broad to run what is expected to be one of the biggest office to residential conversions in the city.
1: You know the world changed, and about a year and a half ago, uh, uh, Nathan Berman and, and Larry Silverstein approached us with the idea of converting this uh, building to residential. It had all the right infrastructure and bones, and uh, you know uh, it's you know uh, obviously downtown. It's a block and a half from the stock exchange, and so we uh, went on a, a journey with them. It took a little while, you know thing called the, you know, the Ukrainian war, uh, interest rates, capital markets, inflation, but we were able to close the deal at uh, you know, this spring, and they're already starting to work. And we think this is a great, you know, great template for future things to look at. And, you know, look at our, our, our portfolio that has older buildings, uh, Class B buildings, which is really where the significant issue is in, in the office, uh, uh, office segment, the Class A market is very, very strong but it's the B and C buildings that are, you know, are going to have issues. So we're very excited to, to, to partner with uh, with uh, these two great firms. And um, we actually last night just had a closing dinner. So it was very fun to exciting to be together with everybody and, and celebrate what we what we accomplished. And that's sort of this, you know, phase one, as Nathan said, the hard part was getting the deal done. The easy part is is converting is converting the building. So we're very excited to be a part of that. And, uh, you know, Larry's, you know, been an old friend of our family and uh, a great icon of, of New York City real estate, and as his, his CEO, Marty Berger is an old friend and uh, got to meet, you know, you know, see Nathan and his his, his son and, uh, you know, a, a lot of family connections, and we're all like minded and how we how we see the world. So it's, it's you know it, it's interesting uh bill branton our former police commissioner had written a book called collaborator parish you know in in the old days my father and uncle and grandfather didn't really have partners we had a few of them we had the roses we had munich reinsurance uh we now have allianz we have Thomson reuters but they didn't you know they they, they felt it was you know we, we can make our own decisions, right or wrong, and not have, you know, be accountable to partners, but the world's changed. And I, I, my, you know, my, my, my cousin and I and my, my two children who are running this business, you know, realize that, you know, that we, you know, the, the capital requirements and the exposure and the risk profiles have have, have changed And similar, you know, why we, we partnered with the Ofer family at the Greenwich lane, which was, you know, a very successful project. So we're you know you have to adapt and you have to change and you have to collaborate and that's again sort of comes back to your first question and back in the office and collaboration and what does that what does that generate and these were all great examples of of, of collaboration and that spontaneity that happens in this in this great city
0: so you're maintaining an interest in 55 broad
1: yes we are
0: what what kind of interest
1: we we sold a significant part of the building and the land and but we've, we we Carved out a uh, an equity position, so we get you know uh, future upsides uh, in, in into into the project. There's a uh, Arias Capital is the other equity partner, and Bank Ambursa is the is the uh, is the is the construction uh, lender, uh, Carlos Sims Mexican bank. So, um, but no, we 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 sold a significant part of the building, but retain retain uh, some ownership in, in the in the project.
0: Something that we've noticed um, anecdotally is that when these conversions happen, people typically do sell their buildings. They don't do it themselves. Why didn't you do it yourself? You know, you do have residential experience.
1: We, we, we do have residential experience and we're very Ooh. proud of, of our uh, experience. And um, uh, but this is a different type of product. It's yeah. a different it's not you know, it's not ground up development, everything that on our residential side, which we can get into a discussion about the residential market, in the city in a second, um, was either ground up or bought back in the 40s or 50s. And uh, so th- this is a different, uh, a conversion is, is, is a different is a different, you know, animal. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why we're, you know, we're have the seat at the table to understand and see you know what you know what it is to undertake these type of projects and who knows what happens you know down 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 the road so
0: so this is a little bit of a test case for you you might um see how this goes and then maybe apply it to other parts of the portfolio is that is that fair to say
1: i think that's a that's a fair that's a fair uh, uh, you know uh, statement and we have a lot of existing uh assets, buildings, older buildings that, you know, if, if we, we, we need, unfortunately, uh, we need uh, our, our political leadership up in Albany, uh, and in the city, uh, you know, the mayor and the governor have been very, very vocal about needing, uh, creating more housing, we're gonna, we're gonna create almost over 550 housing units downtown. These are all market rate
0: apartments. Is there are there particular buildings in your portfolio that you would want to convert? Have you earmarked anything yet?
1: Uh, I'm not going to get into the discussion chat on, on what 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 we're what we're thinking about and looking at. We're we, you know we're, also, we're we're waiting to see where the legislation goes and what happens there. And uh, but you know there you know it it it's you know some buildings just on the physical characteristics. Uh, and, you know, big floor plates or, you know, di- different, different issues. But, you know, the, you're seeing the envelope, you know, expanding, uh, I think Nathan and, and, and the grouse are doing, you know, for New York Plaza, it's a 50,000 foot floor plates, and they're putting light wells in and it's a million feet and, you know, you know, over 1000 units and, you know, so, I think the technology and the and the ability to do certain things is 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 being changed and so we'll we'll see we're you know we're there's no particular rush we're going to see how we're doing on 55 and then you know look look at look at other uh, other situations
0: so much has been made of the loans that are coming due in the city there's tens of billions of CMBS debt on office loans that are coming due in the next 12 months or so there have been defaults there have been office buildings handed back have you got any office debt that's due in your portfolio and how, how are you approaching it
1: i'm i'm not i'm knocking wood here for people listening on on this show on my head uh we were uh, smart, lucky. However, uh, yeah, a combination of the two, our chief investment officer Neil Gupta did a great job, and we, we locked and loaded a bunch of loans over the last couple of years. And um, we uh, don't have anything due on uh, one loan in 2025. And so, my my dad always had an expression: when the music stops, he wants to be sitting in the chair. You know, musical chairs. And so we've taken a conservative view, we, we typically when we borrow, we lock in long term rates, other developers, and they were right, for the last 10 or 12 years floating, and we didn't, we, we, you know, we probably left a significant amount of money on the table, but you get to sleep at night, because you always, we always knew somewhere along the line, uh, didn't know how fast it was going to be, you know, this fast and, and dramatic. Uh, that rates were going to start to go up, but it did happen. And so now we're, you know, we're, we're okay. We obviously we want to see inflation tame. We want to see interest rates come down and we want to see our economy, you know, continue to to grow. But, you know, that, that that's, you know, the, those, these are the vagaries of business and you've got to protect your backside.
0: So, So nothing coming due until 25? So you really will be staying alive till 25.
1: I hope so. I hope so.
0: You, along with Vornado, you've entered into a big office deal with Ken Griffin and Citadel to build a big new office tower on Park Avenue. Uh, Ken Griffin, I think it's fair to say, very bullish on office. And he's also very decisive. He moved Citadel, um, the HQ of Citadel, from Chicago to Miami. He reportedly paid the biggest office rent history at 425 Park. He's paid the highest price for a home in American history when he bought a condo on, uh, on Central Park South. So seeing that you, as you've done this deal with him on Park Avenue, what can you say about why he's so bullish on building so much new office space?
1: Well, I think it comes down to the fact that his business is doing incredibly well. He runs a very successful company. He has a culture that goes back to our original discussion in the office five days a week, working together, making sure that they are producing uh, and making trades and investments that will maximize the return for their investors. And, you know, that feeds upon itself and you attract the best and the brightest and you in order to continue to do that, you have to have the right infrastructure, you have to have the right kind of space. And I think, you know, that's why he went to 425. And then he saw what Jamie Dimon was doing at at, uh, at 270 Park Avenue. And uh, he, you know, his his recruitment, there are a lot of people who want to be in in New York City. And so, uh, between Miami and New York, those are the two access points for for his company. And uh, that's a significant, significant commitment, but a very strong message. And I think he liked the story of what you know Steve Roth and ourselves were telling him about our combined sites. And got to give Steve, uh, Steve uh, Roth, uh, a, a tremendous amount of credit for the vision and tenacity and you know stick toiveness to to put this whole thing together. And you know we're we're were coming along for the ride and watching, you know, watching this and obviously involved. But, uh, you know, he he, he really he had the relationship with Ken because he bought, uh, you know, that that very expensive apartment at 220 Central Park South and they established a, an incredible relationship. And, you know,
0: is that where it formulated from that original deal from that home deal? I,
1: I, I believe so. And then, you know, we've established a very nice relationship. I You know, we've met with Ken and his team many, many times. And, and, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he's, he's a true visionary. He was on CNBC this morning, they're running a special with him on on Monday night. Uh, and uh, he was actually interviewed up at the a charter school up in Harlem, uh, with Eva Moskowitz, who runs the charter schools, and they're talking about Obviously, talked about his business, but he also talked about education and the importance of education and the importance of teaching young people. You know the 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 importance of having a great education. And these charter schools are, are are incredible and produce you know produce uh, you know the future you know future leaders of our of our of our city and state and and, and country. So he's investing not just in his own infrastructure and his own business, he's investing in the future because he knows that in order for him, his company to continue to grow and, and to thrive, he needs that talent, you know, flowing, flowing through. So he's a he's a, an incredible human being. And, you know, we're, we're, we're thrilled to, uh, to be, you know, be able to call him a, 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 our partner and Steve, our partner. And, uh, again, this is the collaboration, you know, you collaborate or or you, or you perish.
0: We are in a um, housing crisis and we're in a homelessness crisis. How do you view the headlines about those crises? Is it, you know, on the one hand, it's kind of good news for you because you have so many um, rental apartments. But are you concerned about what it will mean for the city generally?
1: Everybody loves barriers to entry in their own business. but. That only gets you so far. If we if we price ourselves out, or we can't provide the appropriate, you know, uh, housing for people, then they're going to go other places. And so, no, we have to take the long term view on that. And that again leads us to the you know the asylum seeker and the migrant crisis that we're going through now. Where is the help? We need help. The governor and the mayor have been discussing this in terms of. Uh, with the federal government to and our elected leaders and our and our congressional de- delegation, uh, the White House and the Senate and the Congress, let's get these people to have the opportunity to work, they want to work, they will most of them want to work and have economic to they flee their country. But like my great grandfather did, he couldn't own a building, he couldn't practice his religion. This is back in the 1880s, and in, in, in Russia and Poland. And so he was he was an asylum seeker, he was a migrant. And so look, 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 what he look what he created. And and a majority of these people are honest, hardworking people, they want to work. And it's not like we have a 25% unemployment, we have a three or 4% unemployment, there's opportunity, there's a there was an article in The Times the other day about not just in New York, but upstate New York, people want to hire, they're looking for workers. So let's get them on the on the books, let's get them paying taxes, let's give them the opportunity. And it, it's not that complicated. And it, it's it's it in the mayor, as I said before, and the governor have been really, you know, singing from the from the top of the mountains, like we need help, we need money help, we're spending billions of dollars. Uh, and it, 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 the, the, the federal government's responsible for our borders, they, they haven't done a great job of 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 of, of patrolling those borders, of stopping the migrants from coming in, and if they are coming in, then they have a responsibility to 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 come up with solutions.
0: Bill's father, Lewis, famously pushed developers and other New York corporations to prepay hundreds and thousands of dollars of property taxes back in the '70s when the city was staring down bankruptcy. It's around that time that the famous or infamous daily news headline, Ford to the city, drop dead, came out. That was a reference to President Gerald Ford's then denial of fiscal help to New York. He never actually told the city to drop dead, though. Bill says there are some similarities to that time to what's going on today.
1: There's a, uh, uh, a documentary being made uh, about Gerald Ford and his famous line about, you know, drop dead to New York that was on the front page of the Daily News back in the in the mid 70s. And Felix Royton's son, Michael is is making a documentary. And it just, you know, sends us back to a a period of time, when the federal government didn't want to help New York, they eventually did help New York, and they eventually helped with the loan guarantees. But it it took a lot of effort, a lot of lot of, you know, a lot of things that had to get done uh, to, to get to that point. And we're World premier city. We are the we are the beacon of hope for you know. What does the Statue of Liberty talk about? And th- th- this is part of our you know of of our of our you know of our legacy of of bringing immigrants into our country and 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 being a part of the of the of the social and economic fabric. And so we have to come up with a, a solution. And you know I for a documentary I made about for my father called the Lou Rudin I interviewed a lot of people who were involved in the fiscal crisis. And one of them was Gerald Ford, I interviewed Gerald Ford. And so I was I had arranged for him to come up to my office, our offices. And he was coming to a board meeting at 345 Park Avenue. And his staff said to me, the only question you cannot ask President Ford is about the fiscal crisis. I said, okay, that's the ground rules. Tell so me no, you still
0: asked.
1: <laughs> uh, No, I'll tell you the story. So, uh, you know, he comes into the room and there was a couple of secret service agents and no staff. It was just him. Comes in, Mr. President, thank you for coming, you know, sit down, wired him up. I, I, my first question was, Mr. President, how did you meet my dad? He goes, well, I met him in the fiscal crisis of the 70s. And I go, I said to myself, this is okay, he's bringing it up. I didn't bring it up. And he goes, Yeah, there was a headlines in some newspaper that said I told New York to drop dead. But I never actually said those words, which is true. His speech didn't say New York dropped dead. It was the inference that we, he was not allowing his Secretary of the Treasury, Bill Simon to uh, work with the city to guarantee the loans. And he goes, Yeah, I burned all those papers and, you know, we started laughing and then we got into a whole other conversation and, and afterwards, for a couple of decades, my father and Gerald Ford were, were good friends. They played golf together. My dad went out to his golf tournament in Vail, a fundraiser, and they were, they became, they became very good friends. I actually have a picture somewhere, oh, I'm going to show you this picture, yeah, uh, how, how ironic this is in my office. And there is a young Bill Rudin and uh, Gerald Ford, I don't know what year this was. And uh, they were, they became good friends. And, you know, so that, you know, even though they were adversaries at one point, that, that 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 was the nature of my father, you know, he was friendly with Ronald Reagan, even though he tried to eliminate state and local taxes. So, you know, it, it, it's, it, you know, sort of things you know, history repeats itself. We're going through that situation right now, but I, I hopefully, saner heads will prevail, and people, will, you know, down in Washington, will realize how, you know, we're taking on this responsibility to help these people and settle them and and give them a place to, you know, to 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 temporarily live. But we need we need help. We need solutions.
0: Yeah, I read the other I, day I, there's like a hundred hotels that have that the city has done deals with to house migrants. Yeah. that's not
1: sustainable uh, no it's not sustainable good for the hotel owners i guess but not not good for the city i've got to go down to the uh, i'm going actually right now to the opening you know again a a great example of 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 the resiliency of our city the opening of the perlman center the performing arts center uh, the world trade center and it's opening tonight and um it's you know 20 plus years in the making and uh, Mike Bloomberg and his team have done an incredible job and it's going to have a, a, a tremendous impact on, on lower Manhattan, bringing culture and uh, da- downtown that was you know, definitely sorely needed. And part of that revitalization that's, that, that's happened in, in, in our city. And it, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort and, and commitment and leadership. And so that, that's a great example again of, 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 of working together you know, public sector, private sector, you know, making sure that, you know, you know, our city is the best that it can be.
0: Bill Rudin speaking there. There are more stories on our website. We have a piece about Nightingale Property CEO, Eli Schwartz, spending millions of investor money that was actually meant for a real estate purchase to bet on the recovery of First Republic Bank. We also have a national piece illustrating the experience of Class B and C office owners around the country. I'm Miriam Hall. Thanks for listening.